Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you, David. Uh, Well, uh, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 1, verse 43. So uh, if you don't have a Bible that you use, there's a Bible in front of you or alongside you. And uh, I'm going to read from page 1069. And uh, then I'll tell you the story. So hopefully uh, you'll know how close I am to finishing because I'll just follow the story through. But have a look at it with me. It's uh, 1069, John chapter 1 verse 43 to the end of the chapter. Uh, Before I read it, I should tell you that the notes I've made for myself for this talk uh, describe the talk uh, with this heading, My Mate's Gone Mad. Uh, And as you read the story, bear in mind that these are two mates. One has met Jesus, the other one thinks he's crazy. But the story ends with a guy who thinks his mate's mad turning to Christ. I put it to you that however much theory and thinking we do about the mission of Jesus Christ, it never gets more sophisticated or indeed more simple than this. A girl tells her friend about Christ. A boy tells somebody he's met when he's living overseas about Christ. It is one person telling another person the good news of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God moving and opening a heart and mind to trust Christ. Is that a fair summary of what it all boils down to in the end? But usually the person who tells may well be perceived as slightly mad. Let's read the story. John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, Jesus, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Philip to his friend Nathaniel, we found the Christ. Hard for you to imagine, some of you, 1984, for others, not so long ago, right? 1984... Um, Forgive the personal reference, I was a young man, I was 21, so I'll do the sum for you. I'm just turned 50, save you wondering about it. I was a young professional footballer at a club called Cambridge United. Now, you may never have heard of Cambridge United, I don't, uh, I'm not amazed at that at all. 
Uh, go home tonight, look in the Guinness Book of Records if you have it. 1983, October, to March 1984. 83, October, March 84. Long time, right? English Championship. Cambridge United, longest ever run in the Championship. 36 games. Drew four, lost 32. <laughs> Played in every one. Came to meet Jesus. Some may say I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'd met Jesus and uh, six months after coming to know Christ as Savior and Lord, I'd gone every Saturday to a game somewhere in the country and every Saturday would say to a, an old colleague or somebody I'd met along the road in soccer, any Christians here? I stopped saying that after a while because I'd get very odd looks, so it, it became easier to say, anyone go to church here? Didn't meet one person in six months. And then one day after training, uh, I got a message to say, there's a very posh guy in reception for you. Reception at my football club was a porter cabin. There's a very posh guy in reception for you. I thought they were taking the mickey, so I went to reception anyway, and very, uh, very much saw a very posh guy, uh, said, hello, how are you? I can't do it, but I try. Hello. I said, hello, how are you? He said, very good. I gather you're a Christian. I said, I am. No one had ever been to see me to talk about being a Christian before. I said, I am. Why do you ask? He said, oh, I've just formed this organization for Christians in sport, and um, uh, I've come to find you, I've heard about you, and I'd like to have a cup of coffee with you. I said, fantastic. I thought this man will know it all. I said, that's great. 90 league clubs there were then. I said, uh, um, do you know any other Christians who play football? He said, oh, yes. I said, oh, fantastic. I said, I'll be going six months, I haven't found anyone. I said, how many are there? He said, four. <laughs> four. You know, you go from a high to nothing, don't you? I said, well, who are they? He named three. I said, who's the fourth? He said, you. <laughs> this was not looking optimistic. <laughs> there are 150,000 sports clubs in the United Kingdom. One, five, zero, thousand in the United Kingdom. The stats are that even if people don't show up at them, there are 10 million members of those clubs out of 70 million population. Do you want a mission field? I've got one for you. Anyone who runs, jumps, kicks, chases, they need to know Christ, right? Right? Everybody needs to know Christ. So don't worry if you're not sporty. It's odd, but don't worry about it. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm joking. I'm married to one who's not. It, it, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But don't confuse sport as a bit of fun on the side. If somebody's wired up to play from being a kid, they live and breathe it. They've got talents from God, however small, to be in that place. And if they're in that place, even in the UK alone, there are among 70 million people, 10 million of whom play. And most of whom will not ever have heard somebody say, do you know about Jesus? So sport isn't special. 
And it's not rubbish. It just is part of creation. Where people need to hear the gospel. That's it. That's its place. That's it. As I dive into Philip and Nathaniel, let me give you one more tale. It's of Guion Jenkins since it's youth night. Big night last night and a number of young people here tonight. At 21, I could say I'm a Christian because when I was 15, I was called out of a class just before lunch. I was called out of class uh, five minutes to 12. Graham Daniels, sir, how'd you come? What's up, sir? You're playing for the school team of cricket this afternoon. Go and get your kit. We're leaving a quarter past. We're going to Cardiff. Very, very big deal. 50 miles away. Double physics and maths in the afternoon. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Go and get your kit. I'm like that. Yeah, no one came to get me. Head boy, captain of cricket, captain of rugby. Only two sports played in the school. My goodness me. I'm thinking, I am the man. I'm 15. I'm in the first 11 cricket. How good am I? I go and get my kit, back to the school like that, jump on the bus 12 minutes after I've left the classroom. 11 boys and a teacher, teacher driving the bus, captain, captain of all, head of all at school, top man at school, best player, sits next to me. Really kind guy, nobody else talks to me. 50 mile trip, we chat all the way there, nice guy. Jump on the bus to come back, sits next to me again, keeps me company, talk about cricket for five minutes, it's a Good hours journey. He go, he's a quiet guy. He goes quiet. I say to him, it's a Monday. What did you do the weekend, Guion? He said, oh, Saturday, played cricket. Um, Sunday, went to church. It was out of my mouth before I could stop it. Does your mother make you go to church, Guion? <laughs> Subclause, you're top man in the universe, the best sportsman I've ever seen, and you're a wuss. Sorry, that sounds really rude. And I, you probably don't know what a wuss is. But you're guessing and it probably sounds worse than it is. You're not my kind of boy. Do you go to church because your mother makes you go to church, Guion? Guion Jenkins. Flushed and said, no, I follow Jesus. I said to myself, 45 miles to go. <laughs> I will sing the praises of Jesus in eternity, thanking him for sending an 18-year-old man to open his mouth and say, I follow Jesus with knocking knees because he was not confident. In fact, the girl he later married told me, he never told me this, it was the first time he'd ever told anyone he was a Christian. And I'm standing here tonight with brothers and sisters. And I know Jesus because I was mad for sport and I still am but I met the love of my life because of a knocking knees 18-year-old guy. Isn't that great? Couldn't that be you, though? I mean, was he brilliant? 
Philip and Nathaniel had the same experience. Sorry for a longer prelude than I intended. Come in with me to verse 43. Have a look at it. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote in the law, and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. Here's the context. In the early chapters of John, Jesus is introducing the disciples. He's meeting them, and they meet their friends, and they meet their brothers, and they all hang, and it goes over a few days. On one of those days, Philip bumps into Nathanael because he's met Jesus. There it is in verse 43. He's in Galilee. Hi, Philip, says Jesus. Do you want to follow me? Philip says, well, I think I'm in. Uh, he's from Bethsaida. He's from the city of Andrew and Peter. They've already met Jesus. They know each other, these boys. 45. I don't know what time of day it is. Perhaps it's lunchtime. Perhaps they're having a rest from the intense heat of the farms. But Philip finds Nathanael, verse 45, and says... Hiya, Nathaniel, how are you? Um, Nathaniel, good morning. Not bad yourself. Very nice, thank you. How'd it go with you, Nathaniel? Well, I did a good day's work. I'm having a bit of a break now. What about yourself? Or oh, I bumped into the Messiah that our country's been waiting for for six centuries, and I just had a natter with him. Look, there it is. I mean, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit colloquial, the way I put it, but uh, we have found... We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This country's been oppressed by enemies for centuries. They're currently oppressed by Rome. And they've been waiting for their great saviour, Messiah, King Christ, to come and rescue them. And Philip's bumped into him in Galilee. No, don't be soft, Philip. Do you use that word? Don't be soft in the head, Philip. What are you talking about? Where's he from again? Where's he from? Look, where's he from? 45. Nazareth! <laughs> now, right? Now his mate knows he's gone nuts. Nazareth! Look at him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's down the road. It's a dive. It's a little village near where they live. Any Jewish boy who went to Saturday school knew that the Messiah comes from Bethlehem, a long way south, says the prophet Micah. What are you talking about? My mate's gone mad. But it's his mate. See? It's his mate. And he knows his mate isn't mad. His mate's like him. That's how they know each other. They've got a lot in common. That's why they talk. So what's he on about? So often in our world, when you say anything about Christ, the initial surprise for people who've never heard is what? What? What's that all about? Are you sure? But if you're a woman or a man who cares about investing in people, who cares about authentic friendship and service and kindness, and cares about the truth of the universe, 
you will get used to people saying, are you sure? Answer me this question then. See, it happened right here. Where's he from? Nazareth. Nazareth. Well, answer me this question if you're a Christian. Why does God allow? And off we go. We're so vulnerable. And yet he's crossed the barrier. Philip has crossed the barrier with Nathaniel. Because Nathaniel knows him. And most people who hear about Christ hear from their family or from somebody they know and trust. And if you have to travel and live all your life overseas to live in a community that's never heard of Christ, it's with the growth of trust and love and respect in that community that the gates open for the gospel message to be heard and listened to. It's never more sophisticated than men and women like you and me saying, I will love, I will build relationships, I will be intentional, and I will talk of Christ, who I have found because he first found me. And I'll pass him on. So he's crossed the barrier. Christianity Explored has talked about the weird barrier. He's over the weird barrier. It's his mate. Guion wasn't weird. He was what I wanted to be, actually, apart from this Christian thing. Come with me then into the next paragraph, and I have two more paragraphs to look at. Here's the second paragraph. 46, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there's no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Notice first, Philip's brilliance. He's from Nazareth. What, the, the, the king we've been waiting for for six centuries lives down the road in Nazareth. Are you serious? Come and have a look. What great words. He could have taken offense, couldn't he? How dare you call me stupid? How dare you laugh at me telling you I'd seen the Messiah? How dare you laugh at me for being a Christian? Don't you dare do that to me. You could cut and run and hide and fight. No, it's brilliant here. He just says, well, have a look. Just have a look. Isn't that the most disarming answer in the world? Well, look, I know I'm a Christian. I know you might not know what it's all about. But seriously, it's worth a look. And with open arms and generosity and kindness and warmth and real people orientation, have a look. Then it's gorgeous. Have a look. Come and see. Now watch what happens in the story. This is fabulous. What happens now is that Jesus does what he has done in all of the history of the church. It moves from a second-hand relationship to an intimate personal one. Philip has trusted in Christ. Let's put it in a contemporary way then. He's met the Christ. He tells his friend. His friend's a bit cynical, but it's his friend. His friend starts to find out more about Jesus because he's willing to go and find out because he ends up with Jesus. And now Jesus starts speaking directly to Nathaniel, bypassing Philip completely. What a moment in a human life this is. Can some of you remember it, even as a child? 
Just that moment when you think, oh, Jesus loves me. Not my mum. Well, she loves your, he loves your mum too, but loves me. Not my teacher. Me. Not Gwion Jenkins. Me. No human being can make this happen. The Lord Jesus does it in his own marvelous, gracious kindness as he builds his church. As we speak of Christ in the simplest way, he will honor it by building his church because the gospel is explained and he moves. Watch what happens to Nathaniel. It's a paradigm that has happened every time someone comes to know Christ. It becomes intimate, whether you're six or 60. The head and the heart know that Christ cares for you, not the teller alone. Here it is. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, verse 30, sorry, 47, and said of him, quote one, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He lifts Psalm 32, verse 2, where David is crying out in despair at his sin. He cannot bear that he's such a broken soul. He cries out to God, and Jesus says to Nathaniel, you know Psalm 32, where David cries out that he might be a clean man and a better man. That's you, isn't it, my friend? He goes straight for the heart. I know you. Nathaniel, how are you? I know you. I know you. Look what Nathaniel says. How do you know me? See, see that? Look, there it is. Look at it. Look, it's right in front of your eyes. How do you know me? Jesus answered him. He's spoken straight to him. Oh, what a moment when the Lord Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, says, I know you and I care. Me. Me. Yeah, yeah, I know you. How do you know me? Jesus answered him, 48. Here's his second Old Testament or Jewish scripture reference. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Philip says, hi, Nathaniel, how's it going? Under a fig tree. But there's a further meaning to fig tree. In the prophet Zechariah, in chapter 3, he talks of a day when every Jewish male, because that's how it worked there, would have got rid of the oppressing enemy and would have his own land and pay no rent to anyone outside of his own nation and would do a day's work and care for his family and sit down at the end of the day under the fig tree and say, thank you, God. Jesus says, Nathaniel, very nice to meet you. How do you do? Um, you're an idealist, aren't you? You can't stand the fact that you're not living the way you ought to, aren't you? I am. How do you know that? Oh, I know that because you dream the dream of Zechariah, don't you, my friend? You dream a dream of a day when the world will be as it ought to be. And you're big enough a man to know that from Psalm 32, you're not the man who can make it like that and the world's never going to be like that. And it hurts you, doesn't it, Nathaniel? And Nathaniel must be thinking, this is outrageous. How does this man know I'm such an idealist and so dissatisfied with my own life? Who can ever tell when you talk to a person face to face in a changing room or on a team bus or in the bar or on a night out after a game and you've got to go out for a while because you're staying away and not coming back till tomorrow? Who would ever know when somebody Fs at you 
or has a go at you or laughs at you, that at that very moment, the Lord Jesus Christ might be going to them, I know you, I know your joys and your woes and your pain and your hurts, and I've got truth for you, my friend. And one of the great advantages of getting quite old is meeting people years later who say, you won't remember this, but you were in Latvia and we bumped into each other. You were playing in a hockey match and we bumped into each other. Yeah, you were away for a bit and you were working at this center, you see, and you were helping people and giving them food and clothes. And, and you won't remember this, but it's amazing to meet you again because I came to know Christ partly out of that experience, you know. Age does that. Could a few people affirm that? You don't have to shout. In your eyes, your kids, later, your family, your friends, people you've played with, people you've worked with, just the odd person who says, you won't remember this, but in 1975, and you go, yes, it's worth it. It's worth opening my mouth and sharing my life because who knows when the Lord Jesus Christ cuts to the heart and builds his church. One day we'll know, isn't it? One day we'll get there, and I hope, gosh, I want to work for it, don't you? there'd be people tapping you on the shoulder going you won't remember me but and you go yes want a game of football <laughs> and Wales will win <laughs> because it's heaven you wouldn't have another one that's right isn't it sometimes when you're talking you talk non-stop you know I do and you don't stop for a minute you know, you can't preach a sermon at people. You've got to preach it together. You know that, don't you? You're sort of all in it, aren't you? The Bible's at the center. The word of God's at the center. We're all around what God says, and we're all sort of wrestling with it now, aren't we? And you're probably not listening to me because you're thinking of how you apply to you, which is fine. But it's a kind of corporate, mutual encouragement of wrestling with God's word, isn't it? What a joyous place to be on a Friday night. Oh, I know. He's an idealist. Well, we should end the story here, shouldn't we? Nathaniel answered, 49, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Brilliant. Baptize him, get him in. He's on. <laughs> Isn't he, though? Whoa, that was quick. That was quick. He's gone from Richard Dawkins to the Archbishop of Canterbury in a flash. <laughs> this lad, fair play to him. That is quick, man. That's quick. Gee whiz. No, the gospel won't end it uh, uh, there. It won't stop there. Here's the last paragraph. You see, Christians aren't weird once the relationship of the believer to the inquirer begins to be cemented. It soon becomes, well, I mean, they can be weird, obviously, but that's because they're weird anyway. <laughs> no, that's, you've got to say that, haven't you, to be fair? Isn't it? But the chances are your mate's weird anyway if you're weird, so they won't know. So it'll be fine. But, you know, you know, sometimes you've got to say that because that's how it goes. So relationship established. You've crossed the barrier. Here's the second thing, the relevance of Christ. You never quite know when Jesus is becoming massively relevant to somebody, but you don't know yet. Because the work of regeneration is a secret work carried out by the Holy Spirit bringing new birth. Sometimes we are pleasured to see the results. It should end there, but it doesn't. Jesus answered in verse 50, 
Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Because I've told you I know you inside out, and your idealism and your despair, just because I've hit you on the nerve that shows you that I know how you feel, do you think that's enough? Oh my goodness, that could be a proper talk. We live in a world where we say, well, as long as it feels good, as long as Jesus feels right, as long as it warms your heart, as long as it gives you a buzz that there's something going on inside, that is surely enough to be a Christian, isn't it? Preach a gospel that says Jesus knows you, Jesus loves you, Jesus is with you, Jesus is for you. He is all those things, but the gospel can never be proclaimed as John teaches us right here without these words. 51, 40, 50 to 51, you will see greater things than the fact that I know you inside out, my friend. And here's the climax of the story. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's quoting Genesis 28, where Jacob has stolen the family wealth from his brother Esau. Jacob is an absolute waster. He's run away. He falls asleep, running from his brother and his family. He's a thief. He's dishonorable, and as he falls asleep, he has a dream, and there's a stairway from heaven to earth, and it's God saying to him, I am coming after you wherever you go, and I know your sin. And the gospel is a cheap gospel unless we get that Jesus is better than not being weird as we meet somebody who's a Christian. The gospel is at least the relevance of Christ to a human being's life. It's at least. But it is so much more. It is the objective truth that by the end of this gospel, heaven will be torn open because the Savior of the world will have died for the Jacobs because Nathaniel has idealism, but he has wickedness at the heart of his motives, as the Bible teaches us, we are all broken sinners. And Jesus says to him, Nathaniel, I love your idealism and I love your pain that the world's not ideal, but there's one more thing. There's Jacob in you, my friend. There's deceit in you. You're born in iniquity. You're a sinner. You're lost before me. But you're going to see heaven ripped open, not just in Genesis 28 with the angels and a stairway, but at Calvary when this gospel ends and the Lord Jesus Christ dies there for Nathaniel to pay the penalty, the objective penalty for his objective sins that had to be paid for so that justice was done and love meets justice at the cross and he smashes the grave and he's alive again. That's the gospel. Christ's death is necessary. So how shall we try together for a minute or two to draw, or me to try and help you, having done my best with this passage, to say on this Friday night, well, what can you take away if you haven't wondered in your own mind at the moment and got something? I wanted to say to you, I'm glad my mate Guion was mad. 
It helped me as a young sportsman overcome that there couldn't be a Christian like me, that I couldn't be a Christian because there was nobody like me who was a Christian. I met a better player than me. Then you work out that it's relevant. The Lord Jesus wasn't just Guillaume's friend, but he's mine. He cares about me. And then you work out, he knows everything about me, the stuff I would never tell you. And he's willing to die for it. Could this be possible? Around the world today, there are about 203 countries that have sport and mission going on in them. We don't use a brand name because of the risks entailed in some places, as many of you are very well aware. Right now, 40 of the best leaders we know in the world are in Cape Town, training for three months, aged 23 to 30. Good level athletes learning how to preach Christ in their own cultures into the context of sport. Last year, 500 people were trained in 12 schools on every continent and more. And from those schools of about 50 people in each one were selected the people who go to Cape Town. Last year, about 10,000 people spent one week thinking about how to pray, to play in a way that honors God, and to say something of Jesus Christ, to play for an audience of one. So you could talk about the magnitude of people in the global language called sport who want Christ to be known in that tribe, that nation, that ethne of Genesis, um, of Matthew 28, 19. All nations, the ethne, the people group, the tribe of sport which exists in every country. But I don't want to land there, I want to land like this. Three months after I'd met the man who started Christians in sport, a young player signed for our team. He came from Queen's Park Rangers who are in what was now the Premiership. He was left-footed like me. He was a good player. When a good player turns up at training and he looks a bit like your position, you don't talk to him. <laughs> Anyone who's been in a change room knows how this feels. Somebody said, who's he? 10 o'clock, Monday morning. Alan Comfort, his name is, plays for QPR. He's come on loan for a month. Where's he play? We played 4-4-2. Don't worry if you don't know what that means. He played middle of midfield, inside the winger. Somebody says, plays middle of midfield, left side. I went, oh, fantastic. I was a left winger. Oh, you should have seen him. He can keep ball and five aside. Unbelievable. Like the gap between our level and the top. Nobody talked to him. He was living in digs. He wasn't playing in my position, so I said to him, Alan, Graham Daniels, nice to meet you. Fancy um, staying in digs. Do you want to come back to my house, uh, have some lunch? He said, yeah, thanks. It's really kind. He said, no problem. Um, do you want to come in my Morris Minor or your sports car? <laughs> he said, oh, well. He said, I'll take my car, thanks. I said, fine. He jumped in the car. I phoned from the ground. I told my wife, come for lunch. We get to the door, we park the car, I say, great, well, great to meet you properly. Uh, so you play inside left? He said, yeah, he said, but I'd rather play left wing. Yeah. 
think he knew what's coming next, right? After a couple of days, he said to me, you're still talking to me, and you found out that I've come to take your position. I said, yeah, I know. He said, why'd you do it? I panicked, my knees knocked. I'd only been in this position once before, and I was in his place. I didn't know what to say. So you know what I said? Can you guess? Can you guess? I said, I think it's because I follow Jesus. Because it's all I knew what to say. He knows Christ, yeah? And he serves Christ. And he's a good man. With a good wife called Jill. Not everyone you tell comes to know Christ, is that right? But my goodness, behind the stats of the hundreds and thousands, there is a Philip and a Nathaniel. This is rubbish, it's not meant to be a joke. A Philippa and a Nathaniel. I don't know. Are you Philip tonight, my friends? Keep talking. Keep talking, right? Just go for it. Pathetic words. I follow Jesus. Rubbish apologetics. Nothing more to say. <laughs> Nothing more to say. I don't know anything to say. <laughs> Keep doing it. Go on. Friends, family, love, talk of Christ. Tell the whole truth when the opportunity arises and see what the Lord does. Come on, Philip. That's why we come tonight, isn't it? To say, come on, Lord, what about me? What can I do with your power here? And if you are Nathaniel tonight and you're sitting here and you're saying, well, you know, I don't think I actually know Christ. I know about him. I know people who know him. I know all around the place about who he is. But, you know, I've never trusted in Christ as my Savior and Lord. You know, maybe tonight... Maybe just now as we sing, as the band come and we'll sing together, maybe tonight you'll say to him, how do you know me so well? Not my mum or dad, not my youth leader, not my best friend, not my brother or sister, not my teammate, me. And he says, oh, I know you and I know your joys and your woes and I know your sin and I've died for you and beaten death. Trust him. Maybe tonight for the first time, and Nathaniel will become a Philip. And on we go and tell somebody. Is that good? Is that good? Oh, I can't believe the privilege that we have of sitting in this room if we trust in Christ. I can't believe it. But never forget, somebody's got to say about you, my mate's gone mad, and you're on the way. Let's sing, chaps. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.